Good morning, everybody here in High Wycombe. Great to be with you again. And um, we are continuing our series from the book of Proverbs, which is a book of very practical wisdom in the Old Testament. And a few weeks ago, I spoke on one aspect. Proverbs has lots to say about family. And I spoke about one particular aspect of family, which was marriage, the relationship between husband and wife. And today, I'm looking at another aspect of family, which is what does Proverbs have to say about children, about parents and children? Now, obviously, some here are parents, others are not. Um, Some may well be in the future, and some may yearn to be parents. But I do trust that God has something to say to each one of us today through this. I mean, all of us have been children of parents. Agree? Good. For some, of course, that's been a great relationship. For others, it's not been such a good relationship. Um, And, of course, for some, this may be a particularly painful subject, Um, this whole area of parents, children, and um, hopefully there'll be the opportunity to pray at the end if that applies to you. Um, As Richard just said, we've just been to the US, um, great time we had, but I've got to tell you, we returned separately. My return journey was probably the most stressful journey I've ever had in my life, because we were in California on the West Coast, and so the plan was fly from LA to Atlanta, and then three hours later catch a plane from Atlanta back to Heathrow. All sounds good. Problem being that the plane in LA took off two hours late for some unexplained reason. And so I was starting to get a little bit anxious about this touchdown in Atlanta an hour and 20 minutes before my flight to Heathrow was due to take off. Uh, Touchdown. So I still got to get off the plane, which takes a while. I was right at the back. I still got to collect my bag, which seemed to take forever. So I'm standing in the baggage hall waiting for my bag, looking, it's less than an hour, it's less than an hour until my plane takes off, and it's slowly dawning on me, I'm not in the right terminal either. This is the domestic terminal, I need to get to the international terminal, I know Atlanta Airport, it's huge, it's spread out, and so my bag comes off, I run, I I mean, I'm not known for speed, (laughs) but I was running, I think there were scorch marks on the floor, running through the airport, shouting, where's the international terminal, how do I get to international, and people are saying, oh, you've got to get a shuttle bus, where? Because the signposting is terrible. It's awful in, in, in the airport. And you see one sign for it, and then it disappears. Anyway, I'm running around outside like a headless chicken. Where's the bus? Where's the bus? Where's the bus? And at this point, I seriously think, I'm going to miss my flight. I'm going to miss my flight. Eventually, I find the bus. I get to the international terminal 30 minutes before my flight is due to take off. And I run to the desk, and I say, I need to get on this flight. And they say, oh, no, it's too late. And I say, no, it's not. I'm going to... You, you need to get me on that flight. You do whatever it takes to get me on that flight. Because I was kind of desperate. And they said, well, you're going to have to run to the gate with your bag. You can't check your bag. And I said, okay, can you call the gate and tell them I'm here? Yes, yes, yes. And so I'm running, thinking I'm, I'm, I've still got to go through security. So I get to security and all the usual rigmarole, everything out of your pocket, shoes off, bag through. Of course, they pulled my bag to one side <laughs> to check it behind a queue of other bags. And I'm just standing there in security kind of... Uh, like this, I don't want to look too agitated in security in an American airport, because <laughs> that's uh, you know that might just be an excuse for them to get the, the rubber gloves on or something, you know. So uh, I'm just, can you please, can you check my bag now? Can you just do that now? And so they're rummaging around. They've got to chuck out my shampoo, everything, because that bag was supposed to go in the hold. And I run, eventually run, find the gate, get to the gate, and it's ten minutes to go. I get on the plane, a sweaty wreck but very, very relieved. Now, there is a reason for telling that story, which is linked to what I'm talking about today. 
Uh, it's obviously a stressful situation anyway. If you're potentially going to miss a flight, you're thinking inconvenience and the cost and all of that sort of thing. But there was a lot more going on in me than just inconvenience, thinking of inconvenience. Because I've been away from my family for 11 days. And all I could think of in those moments, I'm running around like a headless chicken, all I can think of is my family. And I, yeah, I just want to get home. I really want to be home with my family, because I've Skyped them and all that, but it's not the same as being physically present with your family and sharing life and just seeing how they're doing and being with each other. It's not the same. And there is, you know, my heart was aching, literally, for my my kids, you know, and particularly as it was Father's Day the day before. And so, you know, there is something, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, and there is something about being away that makes you realize again how precious your children are, how, how much you miss them, how much you, you love them, which can obviously get quite clouded in day-to-day life as you get caught up with life. You sometimes lose sight of some of those things. Well, Proverbs 23, verse 25 says, May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. And that's where I want to start, is with that, that idea of rejoicing in your, in your children. Children, the Bible is very clear. Children are a gift They are a blessing from the Lord, and yes, they do severely test that premise at times, and parenting I found to be a huge test of my self-centeredness and my selfishness, and I often fail the test. But rejoice, rejoice in your children. They are to be prized, they are to be cherished, they're to grow up in an environment of love, an environment of irrational love, where they know that they are loved. And the way that rejoicing is expressed, obviously, is different depending on what stage your child is at. It's very easy to respond with rejoicing when a baby smiles or when a toddler runs up uh, asking for a hug. That's, that's easy. It's less easy with the monosyllabic mumbled responses that you may get as, as they get older. But I wanted to just to make this point from Proverbs first because this is the essential context for all of parenting. This, this context, it, this is what is behind or what should be behind everything we do as parents. This context of love, rejoicing in your children, is absolutely essential when you come to think about things like discipline and training, which we'll come to in a few minutes. It must always be in the context of love, and from a heart of love, and from a heart of wanting the best for your children. You see, parenting is this huge responsibility that no one prepares you for. It just sort of happens, and no no one prepares you for it. What what we'll see as we get into Proverbs is just what a huge responsibility parenting is. Parenting is a calling. It is a big, big challenge, and you need wisdom, and you need courage. And so before you do anything, pray. Pray. Prayer is so key in all of this. And you know what I found really helpful in praying for my children, I would like to say every day, but that wouldn't be true. But what I found really helpful is praying Scripture for them praying scripture over them. So, uh, you know, just truth from the Bible. So inside your grapevines, there's a little fold-over leaflets which are put in there, which may help you pray for your children. Um, it's just, it's a list of scriptures, and certainly not an exhaustive list, but scriptures that I pray regularly for my children. You take them, turn them into prayers for your children, and some suggested prayers in there as well. You don't need to look at it right now, because then you won't be listening to me. <laughs> um, Look at it afterwards. But it, uh, you know, feel free to use that, to amend it, to adapt it, to add to it as appropriate for your children. But I hope it's something that's helpful for some of you, just to get praying for your children. Prayer is so key, because you just otherwise you're trying to do this on your own, and that is hard work. 
Now, obviously, there are different approaches, many different approaches to parenting. So, for example, in a, uh, a conservative society or a more conservative culture, the main goal of parenting can be control. Right? This is obviously a big generalization, but let's just say control. Tell them what to do and discipline them. Command and control. In a, in a very liberal society, a liberal culture, the main goal of parenting tends to be more along the lines of building self-esteem and you know, love, affirmation, but often that comes at the expense of discipline. I know which side of the fence I have a tendency to fall on uh, out, of, out of those two. Kind of, you know, why do I have to do that? Because I told you, kind of thing. I don't say it quite like that. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not that much of an ogre, but... When you have two extremes, you know, the kind of the authoritarian and the very, the very liberal, when you have two extremes of, of anything, usually the best path is somewhere down the middle. And Proverbs finds that middle path in sort of pull it in saying, you know, actually elements of both are actually quite important. But what Proverbs indicates to us is that the main goal of parenting is wisdom, is to make your child wise. So Proverbs 15.20 says, A wise son brings joy to his father. But a foolish man despises his mother. A wise son brings joy to his father. It's about making your children wise. It's passing on wisdom, teaching what is good and bad and right and wrong and wise and unwise to equip them to be able to make wise decisions in the future when you're no longer making those decisions for them. You know, some, that's the goal. But sometimes I've seen the emphasis of parenting, particularly in our culture, in our society, on you have to get a good education so you go to a good university so that you get a good career, so that you get a good income, because that's where security lies. Um, and it starts early. If you've, if you've ever been on the playground and the, the, the chatter about 11-plus starts, oh, my goodness. Uh, don't get me started on that, but it's crazy. It's crazy. My child is seven. I'm not putting them... I'm, no. It, it's absolutely crazy. What I realize, and what I realize more and more as time goes on, is there's really only one thing I want for my children. I, I, I just, the only thing that matters to me, actually, is that they grow up to love God and know God. And I know there's no guarantee of that. But to know God and to walk in His wisdom and to pursue His will in every area of their lives... And you'll see that reflected in some of those, in some of those prayer points. You know, I want to release them from any expectations I may have on them and I may put on them. I just want to submit them to him. I just want to, give them to, to, to follow him, to follow his will, to be whatever he is calling them to be. I just want to, you know, a wise son brings joy to his father. I, just, I want to know that joy. I want to see them walking in the wisdom of the Lord. So that's the, the goal is wisdom of parenting. But then the question is How? Well, Proverbs gives us some insights here. What I'll just say first is there can be a tendency, I think, to look, when you're looking at Proverbs about parenting, we can have a tendency really just to focus in on those ones about discipline, you know, the ones that talk about rods and things like that. I'll, I'll come to that in a minute, but I think it's worth saying that actually the overwhelming emphasis of Proverbs is on verbal encouragement and teaching. Verbal encouragement and teaching. The whole book is an object lesson of this. Proverbs 1 verse 8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. The whole of the book of Proverbs is a father passing on wisdom, passing on advice, passing on instruction to his son. It's verbal encouragement and teaching. 
it's also important to note that the responsibility is placed on both parents and children. So in proverb after proverb, children are called to heed the instructions and listen to the knowledge and accept the discipline and follow the wisdom of their parents. That's why I think when you see disrespect from children to parents, that is a grievous thing. But it's, and for me, disrespect is one of those things that is like a red rag to a bull. Maybe because I've been a teacher and a youth leader and, and a parent, it's, it's like if there's a big, big red button on me that says, incur John's wrath, it's disrespect. I cannot bear it. I simply cannot bear it. It just does something in me. And I've been, I've been dismayed by the accusations being flung at the older generation in, 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 uh, regarding the referendum. I know people have a point about it, but the way it's been is disrespectful. I can't bear it. But in our culture, disrespect between children and parents is almost expected. That's just what happens when you're a teenager, isn't it? It's just just what happens. Proverbs goes further. In Proverbs 17, verse 6, in the second part of that proverb, it says, listen to this. Parents are the pride of their children. Did you hear that? Parents are the pride of their children. That's totally countercultural for us today. And of course, like with all proverbs, these are not universal absolutes. Doesn't apply to every situation. I get you know, if you've got an abusive situation, you're not going to apply that proverb to it particularly. But teenagers, if you are a teenager in here today, I know I know most of you will probably have a good relationship with your parents. But those of you who think that your parents are the most inept, clueless buffoons on the planet, listen. Have the humility to accept and realize they may actually know a thing or two more about life than you do. Reign in the disdain and show respect. And if you don't know how to show respect, ask your parents how they'd like you to show them respect. Just take that on board, please. And again, acknowledging that there are situations which are very difficult. You know, if there's been abuse or that sort of thing, I'm not talking about those situations. But respect is so important and it's... And it's biblical. Honor your mother and your father. Now, Proverbs tells us why parenting is such an intense character-building challenge. So Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod, there's the, the rod word, the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And you hold your newborn child and you think, surely not. Surely not. Not my little angel. Not this little cherub. Folly bound up in his heart. No, this one's different. This one, this one is, is perfect. And there's been a philosophical debate for centuries about whether children are born innately good and they just pick up bad habits from parents and from their environment or whether children are born with a natural predisposition to do wrong. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, the Bible is very clear. Children are born sinful. That's the problem with the whole of humanity. It's in the heart of humanity. And I think experience would bear this out. So just have a look at this um, this video. You may have seen it before, but it's quite funny.
Yeah. You, uh, you don't have to teach a child to be selfish or to disobey or to be horrible to their brother or their sister. Uh, you, you don't have to train them in that. They obviously do pick up things from their environment, but I remember our daughter, she, she, she's happy with me sharing this, but our daughter, Anna, our oldest daughter, Anna, um, she, she, used to, she knew she wasn't allowed to touch the TV when she was about one. She was crawling along. She knew she was not allowed to touch the TV, so she would crawl over towards the TV, kind of looking around her as she went, kind of checking, is anyone watching me? And then climb up, hands on the TV, like this. And you'd look over and say, Anna. And she would turn around and look at you. And you thought she's taking her hands off, but actually you then realize she hasn't. She's looking at you full in the face, and she's got one fingertip just resting on the screen, and you just, just like, Anna, and then she kind of would, would scurry away. But, um, you know, it's just, it is, it is innate that I want to push, I want to resist, I want, to, I, want, I want my way. It's the human problem from, you know, right from the start. One of the first words children learn is probably no or mine. So discipline and boundaries are so essential in raising children. So here's another one on, on, on discipline. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Or 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. And I know you probably want me to talk about what does the rod mean. I'm not going to. I haven't got time to go into that practical level of detail. And also, it's a minefield I'm not willing to step on today. We, we run parenting courses for all ages, so please sign up for one of those in the autumn and uh, ask all those very practical questions. What I will say about it is if you think the Bible is giving one prescriptive way of disciplining, then I think you're wrong because children are different and they respond differently to different forms of discipline. And you've got to find what works for your child. And it may have to differ even between children in the same family because they're all different. But what I'm really interested in getting to today is the heart behind discipline. What is discipline about? Because discipline can come across as such a harsh word. We just associate it with punishment. But it's so much more than that. And as I've already mentioned, the crucial context of discipline is love. It's that heart of love for your child and wanting the best. It's because he loves us that God disciplines us. It's because parents love their children that they discipline them and that they lead them and they train them. You know, sometimes, of course, we get it very wrong as well. And we respond out of anger or irritation and not out of love. Because some you know, children can wind you up and wear you down and push all your buttons. And so you can end up saying something hurtful or spiteful. Or the ironic situation when you're shouting at them to stop shouting. And you think, hmm, maybe, maybe not the best. You know, many times I've had to apologize to my children. When I've responded out of anger and afterwards I've just thought, that wasn't fair. That wasn't, that wasn't loving at all. In fact, the opposite. That was spiteful. And I've had to apologize to them. And I think parents need to be willing to apologize when appropriate, when you get it wrong. Because it models humility, it models a recognition that you're not perfect either. Now, as I've already mentioned, parents can very easily fall into one of two traps here in this whole area of discipline. One is not to discipline, because it doesn't feel loving disciplining. It doesn't, just, it doesn't sit well, it doesn't feel good to discipline. But the message 
of Proverbs is very clear, is that if you withhold discipline, if there are no boundaries, if there's no limits, there's no consequences, it's just like sitting back and watching them head for destruction. You ruin them. It's distinctly unloving. Because if we don't shape them, something else will. And the, 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 the ideas and the trends of the world are accessible to them at a younger and younger age. The power of social media to shape the attitudes and the thinking of the young and take the place of authority in their lives, which should be parental authority, the power of social media to do that is unprecedented. Our children are facing pressures that I never faced. And they live in a world that is hostile to God. Nothing in this world is neutral. You're, it's either, you're either for God or you're against This world is hostile to God. And if parents abdicate their responsibility and abdicate their calling and their authority to shape their children, something else will shape them instead, and it won't be a good thing. The other trap that you can fall into is to just be authoritarian. You know, do it because I told you. And sometimes you do have to say that, but if it's just that all the time, you know, authoritarian discipline might breed obedience. It doesn't necessarily produce wisdom. As usual, it lies somewhere in between. I was reading an article by someone called David Mathis who was talking about the call on parents to cultivate the hearts of their children, nurture the hearts of their children. He said, surely this will include the pruning of discipline. But our first pursuit is not to hunt for the evil in them and attack it, but look for the good and instruct them. It's far too easy to fall into a kind of merely reactive discipline that tries to kill off the weeds of sin by chopping aggressively at the heart of the plant. But true discipline carefully identifies the bulb and gently pulls away at the weeds of sin so as not to harm the heart of a fledgling plant before it ever has the opportunity to blossom. Beneath every manifestation of sin and rebellion in our children is some God-created good to affirm which means that pointed moments of discipline are not only opportunities to correct our children, but to connect with them. Discipline provides opportunities to affirm the good in children. It provides opportunities to talk about the gospel, about sin and how Jesus came to pay for that sin, pay the price. And inextricably linked with discipline is, of course, the idea of training. Some people don't like that word because it sounds like indoctrination, but if you don't train your child, what's going to? And probably one of the most well-known proverbs on this, Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Train a child in the way he should go. That's about setting patterns in, you know, from a young age that will take root in their lives and that will grow and that will, and that will replicate, hopefully. You know, teaching modeling values of, uh, of truth and compassion and kindness and uh, responsibility, uh, spiritual input, helping them understand that there is a God who, who loves them. There is a God, there is a Savior who paid the price for their sins and who wants to be in their lives, who wants to guide their lives. And again, as I said before, as with other Proverbs, this is not an absolute universal promise that he will not turn from it. We know, you know there is no guarantee that our children will respond to that training in that way, but it is, of course, our hope that our children will uh, claim that spiritual heritage as their own. And I think the other aspect of training a child in the way he should go is helping them discover and develop their natural gifts and their natural abilities, affirming what they're good at and affirming what makes them come alive. You know, there's, some, there's nothing like watching your child doing something that they just love doing. And I think that's a huge part of training a child in the way you should go. What is the unique path that is being designed for you and for your life? I want to help you discover that. Really, really important. 
Love, discipline, training, nurturing, passing on wisdom, none of this is easy. It's not an easy task at all. Proverbs always talks in terms of a team effort. Mother and father both bringing unique insights into their children's lives and in, into how to raise them. And, you know, working as a team, and you can't afford to be divided. So let me just say this. If you're a single parent, if you're a lone uh, parent, I, I just think you're amazing. I, I don't know how you do it. And I'm sure there are times when you don't know how you do it either. You're amazing. You're you're doing an amazing, amazing job. But you know, this, it's in these situations that the church can truly be a beautiful thing. As, you know, in stepping up to support you where you need support. We all need support in this. And encouraging where you need encouragement and bringing love and bringing grace or where you need male input or female input, role models to help you in that task of raising your children. And I know many have stories of exactly that, of how that has happened. You know, the label may be lone parent, but you really are not alone. You are not on your own. You're part of a community. You're part of a family. And we all need help, all of us, with parenting. We all need God's help with parenting. Proverbs 3, verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. And you you look at that word commands, and you think command. Is, 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 is this just a kind of like, look, you do as you're told? Because I said so. Just, you know, just do that. But don't make the mistake of thinking that this is just a bunch of behavioral rules. Well, the book of Proverbs is just a bunch of behavioral rules. This book is written in a context. It's not written in a vacuum. It's written in a context. It's written to Israel. This is written to Jewish children, Jewish young people who have a story. They all have a story, and they're part of a community that has a story, a shared story. And so let me just take you back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 20, which says, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, basically, when the child asks, why? which if you know anything about children, you know they ask a lot. Why do I have to do that? Why can't we do that? Why, why can't I have that? Why can't I have a phone? Why, why can't I watch that thing on TV? Everyone else does. Why can't I wear that? Why can't I go to his house? Why, why, why? It's probably the most common question. Well, in Deuteronomy, we see how, the, how, how they're told to respond, and it's by telling them their story. So it says, when he asked, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. That's where we were. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And he goes on to say, he, he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we're careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. They tell a story of who they are and of who God is and of what, of what brought them to this place. That's why we must do this. God's commands are always for prospering, for flourishing, and they always come within a story, within that context. And when one of our children asks, why can't I do that? He's allowed to. She's allowed to. Why can't I do that? We have to tell them it's because you have a different story from them. You know, you are 
in a different story. You're a different person, and it's a good difference. It's a glorious difference. You're a different destiny, a different identity, and you may not fully understand it yet, and at times you may even despise it. But I tell you, when you get this for yourself, when you grasp this for yourself, I'm telling you, you wouldn't swap it for anything. You wouldn't trade it for anything because who you are in Christ, your identity in Christ is so precious. It's worth more than any treasure the world could give you. It's worth far more than any of the fake fulfillments and the counterfeit fulfillments that the world tries to sell you. And so we need to have a vision for our children that is big. We need to have a story for our children. They are part of our story. And where we can say to the world, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is our story. Because I want to raise a child of God, a world changer, you know, in line with the mission of this church. Somebody who is changed by Jesus to change the world. That's what I want to see. Now that whole idea of story is linked into this last point that I want to finish on. Because as I said earlier, this whole area of parenting and, and children can, for some, bring a great deal of pain. It can be a really painful area. Maybe it's to do with the relationship that you have or that you had with your own parents. There may be feelings of resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness for the way they raised you or didn't raise you or maybe even abused you. Or maybe you're still just stuck trying to please your parents. You're just still seeking their approval in everything. You know, in either case, you're still being controlled by them. And that's not, if you're an adult, that's not how it's supposed to be. You you haven't really left them in, in that regard. It's kind of like still being a child. So how can you get free enough? How can you be free enough to forgive in the worst of circumstances? How can you be free enough to forgive them and release yourself from that hook of unforgiveness? Or how can you be free enough to leave your parents, to to be liberated from your parents? Well, you have to understand the story that you are part of. That Jesus willingly lost his father's delight so that you could know the father's delight. Because he is your savior who lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died. And at one time, your parents stood in the place of God for you. Because that was your complete sense of significance or security or lack of significance or lack of security or your understanding of right and wrong came completely from them. But they don't stand in the place of God anymore because your story is now different. Because through Jesus, you have come into the ultimate home where you know the ultimate approval of the ultimate father. And that is a place of security and freedom. And so because of that security and freedom, you are free to forgive. You are free to not over-need your parents, to, to need their approval all the time. Galatians 5.1 tells us it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, to live in freedom. The other area of pain can, of course, be as a parent. And um, some parents constantly accuse themselves. Where did we go wrong? Why we just got it so wrong? Why is my child turning out like this? How could we let that happen? And just self-accusation. But do you know it's not always because you got it wrong? You're not perfect. No one is. But it's not always because you got it wrong. Sometimes it's because your children rejected what you taught them. And as I said earlier, there is a responsibility on both parents and children. And they have to make their own decisions in the end. And they have to take responsibility for their own choices. And you keep praying for them. 
But don't lead a life of self-accusation. You know, be free from that. Be free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. If you, you know, as parents, we're constantly aware of how we fail. It's very easy to beat ourselves up. You're constantly aware of where we mess up and where we, where we blow it. If you came to my house and saw me parenting, you may see some good things, but if you stuck around long enough, you may see some shameful things that I wouldn't want anyone to see. No parent has the perfect record. No child has the perfect record. No one can say, I have been a perfect son. You know, I am that wise son who made his uh, father's heart delight, that, that son in Proverbs. That's me. No one can say that. But remember your story, that story that you are part of, that story that you've been grafted into, because that story tells us there was a wise son, there was a perfect son who made his father's heart glad. The eternal son of God, Jesus, who did, his, he did everything his father asked him, including going to the cross. He never went outside his father's will. He delights to do his father's will, and he does it willingly, and he does it freely, and he does it on our behalf. And so if you're constantly thinking, I'm such a bad parent, or I've been a bad parent to my grown-up children, which, as I said, is often my own story. Here's the thing. I have a far better story than that. I'm in a better story because I'm in Christ. He has set me free from condemnation. My story doesn't end with failure and with condemnation because his grace abounds to me and I can receive his healing and my children, praise God, can receive his healing and his grace for all those times that that I've messed up. And I can pray for healing in relationships. And maybe that's exactly what some of you need to do today. Know the story that you are in. Receive his grace. Receive his healing. Pray for healing in relationships. Put your trust in God. Amen.